excited about continuing in the book of Galatians. And have you guys noticed how on Sunday morning they're copying what we're talking about in here? <laughs> it's <laughs> what's your <laughs> Ted and I sit and read over the passage. Now it's just fun how it works. I'll say, "Hey, that's what we're talking about," or "That's what we're studying," and it's really been neat. And then last week, uh, Paul Stumbo and the choir sang this song, Were It Not For Grace. And it's the greatest song, so even the song went along with what we're doing in here. Here's some of the words. Time measured out my days. Life carried me along. In my soul, I yearned to follow God, but I knew I'd never be strong. I looked hard at this world to learn how heaven could be gained, just to end where I began, where human effort is all in vain. Were it not for grace, i tell you where I'd be, wandering down some pointless road to nowhere with my salvation up to me. I know how that would go, the battles I would face, forever running, but losing the race, were it not for grace. This is the song that Paul was singing to the Galatian churches in Antioch and in Iconium and in Lystra, and Derby, he sang it there to the Gentiles, the Gentiles being a people who never had a perception of one God, so they created their own gods and their idols, and they heard this song. He sang it to the Jews, the nation that was set apart by God from the very beginning with Abraham to be a light in the world of the reality that there is one true God and the nation where a descendant named Jesus Christ would come through and be the hope of both Jews and Gentiles alike for salvation. And so the churches in Galatia were singing this grace song with Paul, both the Jews and the Gentiles, and these are the words of the grace song on your outline. Faith plus nothing equals salvation. And they were happy to sing that song. And the church was growing and the church was getting strong and the, the truth was being established where there had been no truth, where it had been a vacancy, where it had been immoral. And everybody was singing and all of a sudden the Judaizers began to hum a different tune and maybe at first it was a little hard to hear, but then they began to sing it louder and louder, and on your outline, faith plus works equals salvation. Faith plus works equals salvation. The Judaizers were the Jews who wouldn't sing the grace song. The Judaizers were the Jews who didn't necessarily deny the person of Christ, but they denied that he was enough to satisfy God that faith in him would bring us before God as a justified individual. They were clinging to circumcision. They were clinging to the law. They saw Christianity as just one more Jewish sect where you would obey and honor all the Jewish traditions and laws so that first you could obtain your salvation and secondly you could maintain your salvation. And guess what? Paul didn't like that song. And he was pretty straightforward with what he thought about it. Remember what he says in chapter 1? If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you first accepted, if anybody is singing to you a song besides the grace song, 
let him be eternally condemned. What was this gospel they first accepted? We've been talking about that. That we are declared righteous before God through his grace by our faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul had received that gospel himself from Jesus Christ. And we talked about how it totally lined up with the gospel that all the other apostles had received from Jesus Christ. And that's why it was the truth. It came from God. Unlike the Judaizers, whose song was not from God, it was from men. Their gospel was not for God, it was for men. Their gospel was not about God, it was about men. So I want us to take a minute to just look a little bit closer at their song. Their belief nullified Christ's work on the cross. If works are what brings us to heaven, then Christ died for nothing. Secondly, their belief perverted the gospel of salvation. They had come up with an inferior religious system that could never bring salvation. Getting there in my own strength and in my own power and in my own goodness. Thirdly, their belief ignored the evidences of the true gospel from the past to the present. Remember, we've been studying how from the very beginning, beginning with Abraham, it was obvious that justification before God came through belief and came through faith. They ignored that. They ignored the rest of the prophets. Then they ignored the words of Jesus. And now they're ignoring the fact that right before their very eyes, they're seeing miracles. They're seeing healings. They're seeing the Holy Spirit fall down upon the Gentiles, that they've received the Holy Spirit as well. They're ignoring these evidences to cling to what they believe to be true. And finally, their belief enslaved men to live life by the flesh, always striving like that song, always running, always working, always hoping, caught up in our flesh, and yet Paul says it was for freedom that Christ set us free, for freedom. And that's what I want to talk about today. We can choose to live like those guys and fail trying to live out our faith in our own power, or we can decide to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us, to take us to to experience what God desires our life to be in Him. It's freedom. In the first four chapters of Galatians, we were talking about justification. And on your outline, justification is our righteous position before God. But the next two chapters, today and next week, we're going to be looking at uh, sanctification, which is the process of becoming holy, becoming like Christ. And guess what the Judaizers would say? Both of those things, our position and the process, it's up to me. It's up to me to make sure that I'm justified by, before God and then I'm good enough to get with God later on. Paul would say, guess what? It's about faith. It was about faith when you first came to God, and it's going to be about faith to live out that life. And both of those involved the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was there when you were justified. The Spirit plays a part in our sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ. 
In fact, at the top of your outline is Colossians 2.6. Colossians, Colossians. Colossians 2.6. Because this is what Paul told every church, not the, the church of Galatians. Look at that verse. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, how did we do that? Through faith. So walk in him through faith. The the Judaizers would say, just as you received him by obedience to the law, walk with him by obedience to the law. Paul wants to show them why that doesn't work. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. What is God's plan for us when we know Christ? Verse 1, chapter 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, if you guys have ever owned a dog or maybe even a horse or we had rabbits, if you ever just, you know, had them chained up for the day and then you unhooked them for a while, remember what that felt like? And they'd just go galloping around, hopping and jumping and running. And while you were watching that, and it was so fun to watch, what would that have felt like to you to see someone just kind of run out of the woods immediately with a chain and rechain that dog or that animal back up and put them right back where they were in the first place? Paul is saying to the Galatians, this is me watching you. It's not an easy thing to do. Paul says, you were chained to sin. You were chained to futility. You were chained to having no purpose at all in this life. And it was Jesus' good pleasure to release you. It was Jesus' good pleasure to come for that very reason. To bring freedom into your life. And Paul says, now you're letting others come out from nowhere and put that chain back around your neck and we can pretty much say that's a picture of living life in the flesh. Wearing a chain. And I saw some things in these next verses. First of all, on your outline, when we live life by the flesh, we are exchanging God's plan of freedom for Satan's plan of bondage. It's never been God's plan to make us be burdened through our life by keeping a list of do's and don'ts. That is the plan of Satan. Anything that we can become enslaved to, anything that keeps us from a relationship with God, anything to make our life miserable, that is a plan from Satan. Look at 1 John 5, 19. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. When we submit to this idea of carrying the weight of our sins on our back, we are submitting to Satan's plan. Instead, Paul says in this verse, stand firm in the liberty that Jesus brings us. Watch for those people that are holding the chains in their hands. Watch for them. Be on the lookout of the people that say, don't do this. And don't do that. I read about this pastor. I thought it was the best illustration. This young pastor, he's excited about this growing church. And then he wakes up one day, and it's, it's sleet, and it's ice, and it's snowing, and he watches the news, and he can't get to his young church. And so he thinks the roads are blocked. 
I got to get there. And then he realizes the river kind of runs along the side there. So he says, I'm going to get on my skates and I can skate to church. So he gets up really early, puts on his skates, skates to church, gets there in plenty of time. He's telling the elders his story and they are horrified that he would skate on the Sabbath. So they say, Pastor, we're going to have a special meeting after church today. Okay. Comes to the meeting. They start debating with him about, you know, we don't think you should have skated here. And the pastor says, it was either skate or don't show up. So finally, one of the elders said, well, let me ask you this. Did you enjoy skating to church? (laughs) When the pastor said no, they decided it was all right. That was the end of it. And I thought, what a... That is so sad. Don't you know people like that? If you're having fun, it must be a sin. He, he didn't enjoy the skating, so then it was okay. Those elders are holding chains in their hands. When we live legalistically, we are not free to experience life like God wants us to experience it. Look at Galatians 5.2. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Here's another thing I get from these verses. When we are walking in the flesh and not by the Spirit, we are majoring on the minors. I don't know if you guys use that expression in in your house. We do sometimes. And what that means is you make insignificant what is significant and vice versa. The most valuable thing we have in our life is our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what our life should be centered on. But when we are striving to please God in our flesh, Paul says then Christ will be of no value to you at all. Our self-righteousness becomes what's significant, not our relationship with Christ, which really is what is significant. And it made me think about Luke 11. There was a time a Pharisee invited Jesus over for lunch. And I love these stories because we like to think of Jesus as, you know, not around those kinds of people. They were always having him over for dinner and lunch, and Jesus would go, and he's having lunch with this guy. And, you know, back then they would have their food on the floor or on some kind of a pad or a low table, and they reclined at the table. So the picture of the Last Supper is not quite right. That's why they had to make sure they washed their feet, because they were in somebody else's face. You would lie around the food, on your elbow, eating. Jesus does that with this Pharisee, and the Pharisee inside thinks, I am shocked. He has not washed himself according to the Jewish law before he started eating. Now, Jesus probably did that on purpose knew this man, and while he's eating his fig or whatever, looks at the man and says, you know, you, you take such care to wash the outside of your cup, but inside you are just full of wickedness. And I thought, what a great illustration. This man has the Son of God in his home, having fellowship with him at his table, and all he can think about is he didn't wash right. That's what legalism does. We pass up a relationship with Jesus because we're focusing on the minors. We're majoring on the minors. In this case, the minors 
was circumcision. The Judaizers were majoring on that, saying that this self-righteous act would be necessary for salvation, making that outward act a replacement for a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what legalism does. And look at verse 3. It tells us a little more about that. Paul says, Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's obligated to obey the whole law. When we're legalistic in one thing, where do we stop? How many church meetings can we not miss? Was I sprinkled or dunked when I was baptized? Did I go to all of my catechism classes? Did I say enough Hail Marys? Did I memorize enough scripture? It's never enough. We are just adding burden upon burden upon burden in our life. We're majoring on the minors. Paul says to them, if you're on planning on being legalistic about one part of the law, the circumcision, you have to keep all of it. You have to keep it all perfectly. Put that burden on your back. Look at verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Legalism alienates us from Christ. In the King James Version, it says, Christ becomes of no effect to you. When we think we're justified by works, we are rejecting the way of grace. This verse isn't about losing your salvation. This verse is about losing the method of salvation, grace. We fall away from it when we begin to believe that keeping rules are necessary for our salvation. What's the major we need to be focusing on? Look at verse 5. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I love this verse. It kind of goes through the things we were just talking about. When we are in Christ, we are positionally righteous. But we wait for the day when that process of becoming righteous before Christ comes to completion, when we are in his presence. And it made me think of these three words, justification, sanctification, glorification. That's what we major on. It's all up to God through his spirit. And this is a work of the spirit. Look at Romans 8, 23 on your verse sheet. We ourselves, having the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And Paul says in these verses, nothing else holds any value. The minors will not last. I read about this artist who was asked to do the sculpture for a famous museum. And this artist was so excited because he always wanted to create this incredible masterpiece. So he goes to his studio and he spends years working on this incredible sculpture. And he's so proud of it. And the day that he's, you know, going to deliver it to the museum, he's all excited and he realizes it doesn't fit through this door. And it doesn't fit through this door. And it doesn't fit through the windows. And the sculpture is forever a captive in the studio of the artist. And I thought, that's exactly 
what happens to our works that we build up and we're so proud and there they are. They don't come with us when we go to heaven. They stay here on earth. They've done us no heavenly good. They are no value. Paul says the only thing that matters is our faith and how we express it. We express it in love because that's how Christ dealt with us. Look on your verse sheet. 1 John, we love because he first loved us. Here's something else that happens when we are caught up into legalism. We esteem the wrong people. Look at verse 7. Paul says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion doesn't come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Last week we saw how the people of Galatia loved Paul. Now they're turning their devotion to the Judaizers from Paul who loved them with this pure motivation that they would be conformed to the image of Christ. To what people who want them to conform to their standards and to their ways. When we're tempting to live out our salvation in our own way, we are drawn to people who claim to have figured those things out. We are drawn to people who also are seeking to get to God in some other way that does not go along with the Word of God. And in these verses, we see there's five characteristics of those kind of false teachers, and I'm going to talk about them. I think Paul initially here is talking first about the head guy, the head honcho, the big Judaizer, the guy that's the leader of all the Judaizers, because he says, who is the one? And he says later on, uh, who's the one throwing you into confusion, and who has come in on you, and that's all singular. So Paul likes to envision our journey of faith to be on a racetrack. And so Paul's envisioning the Galatians running down this racetrack, and he says, you're doing a good job. You are going forward in the Spirit and in faith. And all of a sudden, this head Judaizer just pops out on the racetrack like a giant hurdle. And they're kind of stumbling, and they're kind of cut off. And here's what he's causing them to do. He's hindering them from obeying the truth. And this is number one. And you got a little tiny space there. That's all the room I have. This is what a false teacher does. He doesn't want you to see truth or to know truth. He hinders you from that. Um, Oprah has a new book out, a new self-help book that she didn't write, but she's endorsing it. I think it's called New Earth. It makes me wonder what happened to the secret. I guess that's a secret. It's gone. Now it's new earth. And uh, Kathy Harrelson was telling us that she has, to help promote this new book, testimonies from, guess who? Christians. Christians saying, this is the very answer I was looking for. Now, why would she be using Christians to sell this book? Hindering Christians from following the truth. It's a great way to try to say, it's not really going against your beliefs. It is going against it. And she's going to be a giant stumbling block to many Christians who are trying to obey the truth. In this case, the hurdle by the Judaizer is self-righteousness. 
Let's put in our own righteousness instead of Christ's righteousness. And can't you almost picture Paul in a black and white striped shirt running out on the field with the whistle? Foul! Stop! They're out of bounds! This guy, this Judaizer, is not helping you run this race. He is hindering you. He is cutting in on you. He is hurting you. I read about this Italian running champion named Durando. 1908, the pride of Italy, at the Olympics, running. He's so fast, he's two whole laps ahead of the next person. And he's only 30 yards from the finish, and he just collapses. So he's lying there, and he hears people cheering and yelling because he still could win the race. That's how far ahead he was. And so Durando, as he starts to stand up, someone on the sideline puts their hand on his back to help give him some support so he can finish the race. The minute that hand went on his back, the judges yell out, you've lost. You've lost. Durando, you thought that guy was helping you? That guy wasn't helping you. That guy made you not finish the race. This is Paul's point to the church of Galatia. These guys are not really supporting you. You will lose the race. And then Paul says, this kind of teaching doesn't come from God. On your outline, that's the next thing. These false teachers teach without God's involvement, without God's direction. It's their own thinking. God sings his grace song, and this is not the song of the Judaizers. Look at Isaiah 29. The Lord said, These people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. And then Paul quotes Proverbs, that the sin and the false teaching that these people bring is like yeast, which always represents sin in the Bible. And it comes into a church, and it slowly spreads, and it permeates, and it confuses, and it stops the work of God in a congregation. And that's something else on number three of what a false teacher does. They contaminate the church. Look at verse 10 in chapter 5. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who's throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. And that's our fourth look at a false teacher. They are destined to judgment. Destined to judgment. I like this little paragraph here because Paul is being optimistic about the Galatians. He has been so stern. Is it because he doesn't love them? He loves them. He is stern because the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ was was at stake here. And he has to protect it. And so he speaks to them here and he says, You were running a good race. And I'm confident you will choose to do the right thing. But he's also confident that these false teachers have their future set in place for them. Look at 2 Peter 2. Many will follow the false teachers, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. 
Their judgment from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and also to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Fifthly, a false teacher persecutes true teachers. Look at verse 11. Paul says, brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Pretty strong words. Jesus warned his disciples, some of your greatest persecutors are going to be coming from the church. And I think that's still true today. Some of the greatest persecutors of truth come from churches themselves. Look at John 16. Jesus said, they will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming when everyone who kills you will think that they're offering a service to God. And these things they will do because they really don't know the Father or me. That was Paul's story. He thought what he was doing before he knew Christ by persecuting the church was a helping the cause of God. This is where a lot of false teachers will come from. Now, who are they going to persecute? Paul. Paul was the one who came to the area. Paul was the one who was telling the truth. Paul was the one who was finally enlightening people that this is not how God brings me into a relationship with him through the flesh. And so they've got to persecute Paul. And this is what they did. They said, Paul preaches uh, circumcision. He's always preached circumcision because he did before he knew Jesus. And Paul's saying in these verses, if I were still preaching circumcision like you do, why am I still being persecuted? And then he says, and why is the cross still an offense to people I get around? In other words, I'm still preaching the cross. I'm not preaching circumcision. And it's a stumbling block to people like you Judaizers. The cross is offensive because it tells man, guess what? You don't have anything you can do to justify yourself before God. And this is hard. And this is why it was hard for the Jews. Because the cross robbed the Jews of their distinctive signs of Jewishness something that they had passed on to them for years and years and years, circumcision, obedience to the Mosaic law. It wasn't that they were bothered when they looked at the cross about Christ being worshipped. What bothered them is that it failed to require obedience to their rules and their regulations. Remember Stephen, the first martyr? And he's out there, and Paul was there before he knew Christ, nodding in agreement, probably picking up a few stones and stoning Stephen himself. Did they say, we've got to get rid of this guy because he's worshiping this man in Jesus Christ? No. They said, we've got to get rid of this guy because he's speaking against the holy place and against our laws. That's why the cross was a stumbling block to the Jewish people. And that's true for false teachers today because they come up with the plan and they're sticking to it. And so the cross is a stumbling block. 
Look at Acts 4.12, what the truth is. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. I had a, a friend that was Jewish that I loved all growing up from kindergarten. And she went uh, into a, the Baha'i faith. And I remember saying to her, okay, this verse, there's no other name. And she said to me, that was true in those days. But there's been a new name in each generation. The cross was a stumbling block to her. She was sticking to her story no matter what other truth was out there in front of her. When we read that last verse that I read, as for those agitators, we get pretty uh, shocked at Paul. He loves that grace song. He's going to protect that grace song. And he says, if you Judaizers are that enthusiastic about circumcision, why don't you go all the way? And you can castrate yourself just like the Gentile pagan priests do in their false worship. And here's what I think. I don't think Paul was hoping for a cruel punishment for them because he's already told us God's going to take care of their punishment. I think he was making a statement that would symbolize the Judaizers being unable to produce new converts. And that's what Paul was hoping for. What's the answer? Once we're justified... How do we live out our faith? If it's not trying to be good, if it's not coming up with our own plan, how do we represent Christ in this world? How do we go forward? And how do we keep from falling back into those sins that once reigned in us, that once controlled us and dictated us? Because we have a dilemma here. We are born with a fallen human sin nature. We got this from our great-great-great-great-grandfather, Adam. And we still have it. It doesn't disappear when we come to Christ. In fact, our potential to sin doesn't go away. It clings even to a redeemed soul. But the good news is, we also possess in Christ a divine nature, and we have victory over that old nature that used to control us. Look at 2 Peter 1. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And this is accomplished, not in our power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16. First part of the verse. Paul says, so now I say, live by the Spirit. What does that look like? The word live there means keep on walking. Keep on walking. So we learn something there. On your outline, the Spirit-led life is a continual progression toward holiness. We don't come to Christ, get the Spirit, and never sin again. It's a progression toward holiness. It's an action of walking from one place to the other. Jesus sends us his helper, comforter, our counselor, 
And when he does, we learn, hey, I thought I didn't like to travel, but I'm traveling. I'm traveling from one spiritual place to another that I never dreamed I could do. It's not me doing it. I'm living by the Spirit. And I hope in your homework you found some ways to, do, to uh, become a part and partner with the Spirit in that. And I would just want to say three things on that. We have to have discipline. We have to discipline our minds. We have to be, have discipline in the Word of God. We have to have discipline to pray. We have to do those things to walk with the Spirit. And we nurture our spiritual life in that way. And we have to submit. And that means, okay, I'm giving up my selfish plan for life. I'm even giving up my selfish ways. I'm giving up my my forgivenesses that I don't want to give away. I'm giving up my hatreds. I'm giving those things up. And when we fill our life with those things, we are yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Spirit-led life brings victory over sin. Look at verse 16. I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Praise God. We do not have to be controlled by sin in our life. He can tempt us, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We can find that help to overcome sin. We went to visit our son. He was at Baylor a couple years and finished at TCU. But his second year, he got to go into these really cool loft buildings, right, off the campus there. And so he called us and would say, you know, they, they built this loft, and it's so neat. I'm up on the loft, and uh, it's really fun. Of course, when we heard college kids built the loft the year before, it was a little scary. So one time on our visit, we had helped him move in, but I can't remember if he wasn't in there or not at that point. So we go out to see his little loft. And they built these little teeny wooden stairs that went a mile high that would be very easy to fall. And then they built a little platform that only fit Tyler's bed. So there he is on this bed. And then there was a gulf about this big that dropped down, I don't know how many feet, 20-something feet, to the floor below him. And then there was another platform where all his clothes were. Okay, so we're going, hmm... It's dark, it's late, you decide, I need to get that shirt for tomorrow. Bum. You fall into this. No, you no, I just jump. I, I just jump over that. Mom, Dad, please, I'm fine. Of course, we go home and we're just envisioning every day, you know, he's tripping, he's falling into this chasm. He's lying on the floor in, in, his, in his college place. So Ted finally gets James Burr and says, come build a railing with me. And so Tyler's like, okay. So Tyler's the only guy who, wherever they built these lofts and everybody's falling, Tyler has a railing now. <laughs> so he can hold on to things and get across that little chasm there without getting hurt. And I thought, that's really a good example of life by the Spirit. We still have the potential to fall. We still have the potential to sin. But where we used to not have a railing, We have a railing. We have the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. He's powerful. His plan is to take us safely over those sins that were once a great danger in our life. 
Galatians 5.17. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what's contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. And on your outline, I said this. The spirit-led life involves conflict. We have a redeemed self living in an unredeemed humanness. Okay? That's going to bring conflict. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because at last we see sin for what it is. At last we are repelled for how odious it is and what a statement it is against God. And at last we realize we have another option. We don't have to be controlled by it. And I think when we feel that conflict, we can stop and say, there is a greater power at work in me now. I see what's right and wrong. I don't have to give in. It's a great thing. And then the Spirit-led life is a life of freedom and fruit. Look at verse 18. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We are freed from the flesh. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and the new things have come. We are free. I was reading about Pilgrim's Progress again. And there was a time when they go to a house. It's called the Interpreter's House. And they're sitting in this parlor. And the parlor is totally dusty covered in dust, and so people are in there, and all of a sudden a man comes in with a broom, and he starts to sweep the place up, and the dust just multiplies and is stirred up and is going around, and all the company's in the parlor, and they're coughing, and later the interpreter says, well, you know, the parlor is like the heart of someone who's lost, and the dust is the sin in their life, and the broom is the legalism that tries to rub away the sin, and all it can do is stir it up. The Spirit removes that for us, and that makes us free. We won't read those verses, but here's what we're freed from. We're freed from sexual sins. We're freed from fleshly sins that are even religious sins. We are freed from social evils and selfishness. And when I read that list, I thought, okay, I can see the Gentiles fitting in there. Because remember, they were pagan. They lived immorally and didn't really have a problem with that. But I thought, well, wait a minute. The Jews that were trying to live legalistically, they they weren't doing these things. I remember when Jesus came and, and the Sermon on the Mount, and he spends all that time exposing the fact that in their heart, they were just as guilty as the Gentile. Just like in Luke 11, when Jesus is eating lunch with the Pharisee, he says, your outside's looking good. Your inside's evil. They were just as guilty of sin as the Gentiles. Paul says, I'm going to show you the contrast. Life in the Spirit is amazing. It brings everything in our life, everything the world wants. When you see the world 
and they're lost and they're doing every silly thing they can come up with under the book, it's because they want to feel right. It's because they were created with a purpose, to have a relationship with their creator. And they're just trying every way in the world to do it. They just don't know that's what they're doing. We have the Holy Spirit. We get to experience what that means to have a power within us that takes us to a place we didn't know we could go. It's the Spirit's work. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. Did you notice that fruit is a singular word here? When he lists the sins, they're plural. Because they probably weren't involved in all those things, the Gentiles. But when he lists the fruit, it's singular. Because I really think what Paul's saying is, all of these are one. This is the fruit of the Spirit And this is exampled in the life of every mature believer. All these things. We just don't pick and choose. This becomes who we are in Christ. Look at Romans 7. You were also made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature which was aroused by the law, what was at work in the members of our body was bearing fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the law. And we can take those fruits and divide them three ways. Habits of the mind, love, joy, peace. Relating to others, patience, kindness, goodness. A believer's conduct, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then the spirit-led life is divinely enabled. Look at verse 25. We live by the spirit, so let us keep in step with the spirit. We aren't living in our own strength. We are living by the Spirit. We are in the hands of our very capable Savior. And so Paul's saying here, since you are in His hands, keep in step with the work of the Spirit, step by step, following His direction. And while we're doing that walking, we need to be humming that grace song, because that's what brought us there in the first place. Let me pray. Father, you are good and we are grateful. We are grateful for the gifts you give us, for the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and for the joy that this life brings when we know you. I just pray we give you that praise today and bless us, Father, that we might bless and glorify your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.